You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Open your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the final message in a six-part series that we've entitled Made for More. And we have been trying to answer a question. It's this, what in the world was I made for? And the answer is nothing. You weren't made for anything in the world at all. As a matter of fact, we studied the book of Ecclesiastes and we found out that book told us everything that we were not made for and we were not made for anything under the sun. Uh, Solomon that wrote that book said, uh, everything under the sun is hevel. It's meaningless. It's, it's hard to get your hands around. It's smoke. It's vapor. It always leaves you wanting more. No matter how much of it you get, you still want more control. You want more meaning. And so we were made for more than stuff under the sun. We found out that we're made for more than isolation. We're made to gather. We're, more, we're made for more than stagnation. We're made to grow. And we're made for more than setting and getting in church. We're made to go. And last week we said, ultimately, we are not made for ourselves. We are made to glorify the only one who is worthy of our lives. And so I told you last week was a two-part message. Last week we kind of looked at what is the glory of God. Remember we said that glory comes from an Old Testament Hebrew word that means weight. It's a weighty thing to think about the character, the nature, and the attributes of God to weigh His excellence and His perfection, His supremacy. That is such a weighty concept that really it ought to bring me to my knees in worship. And uh, we learned that uh, glory, first of all, is about the magnification, um, actually... The first thing is it's the manifestation of God's presence among his people. It's when the glory comes down and God self discloses that which can be known of him. And so uh, that was kind of veiled in the Old Testament as people got glimpses of God's glory until Jesus came. And Hebrews chapter one tells us that Jesus was the radiance of the glory of God, uh, the exact imprint of his nature. And so now that we know Jesus, we can know the glory of God more intimately, more fully. And it's not just the manifestation of God's presence when the glory comes down, we learned also it's the magnification of God's purpose when the glory goes up. The magnification of God's person as the glory goes up. And so that's what we just spent 30 minutes doing, giving glory to God, ascribing glory to God. The reason you come to church is not just to write down a few notes and, and shake a few hands and drink a cup of coffee. We're here to turn glory into a verb. We glorify God. We ascribe glory to Him as, uh, as His people. And that's what we are made for. We're made to glorify God. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, if you go outside today and you look up in the sky, there's this big ball of light. Perhaps you've heard of it. I realize it's March and so you may not remember, but um, there's this big ball of light in the sky. What is that called? What are you looking at? You're looking at sunlight. If you go out tonight at midnight, you look up in the sky, there's another big ball of light. What would you be looking at? Well, now, wait a minute. The, what, what are you looking at when you're looking at the ball of light in the, at midnight? Aren't you still looking at sunlight? 
Have you, have you discovered that there's really not such a thing as moonlight? The moon is just this big rock in the sky. And when you're looking at the moon, what you're actually seeing is sunlight that is bouncing off the moon. Do you know that you are made to be a moon? Okay. You're, you're just a rock. That, that's, a, that's actually too complimentary. You're a speck of dust in the universe that God created for one purpose, to bounce his glory off of. When people look at your life, what they're supposed to see is the glory of God. Do you remember when Jesus said, uh, let your light shine before men so that they would see your good works and glorify how awesome you are and you're so smart and you're so athletic and so creative. No, they're to glorify your father, which is in heaven. So you were made to display the glory of God. So all of those are kind of theological and philosophical things about the glory of God. And that's what we were swimming in last week. Today, we're going to get real practical. Some of you are like, I want practical how to's. How do I glorify God? Well, that's what we're going to get to today. Now, if you do your job right and I do my job right, then you're going to leave here being consumed with this thought. I am made to glorify God. If you get this, you will live this week with a sobering sense that you were made for nothing less than the glory of God. It means that your heart will be overwhelmed with the glory of God. It means the first thought on your mind when you wake up in the morning and the last thought on your mind when you're going to sleep at night is this. Did I glorify God today in all of my actions, in all of my attitudes, in all of my words? Did I reflect the glory of God? The glory of God will be what you talk about in conversation that you will long for the more of the glory of God in your life personally, in your family and in your church and in your community that, that there would just be a flood, a saturation of God's glory in every place you go. You'll grieve when the glory of God is absent and you won't be content to live without the glory of God. And ultimately, you'll be compelled to go to the places in this community and ultimately around the world where the glory of God is not known, seen and loved. If I do my job right, you do your job right. You're going to get to the place where you give yourself fully, finally, completely to living for the glory of God. So that's all I'm trying to accomplish today. I hope you do your job right. I'm going to try to do my job right. I'm going to give you three ways to glorify God. Now, I got to warn you, point three has 10 points. OK, so don't get excited when we get to point three. We've got a ways to go when we get there. All right. So number one, how do I glorify God? By trans by being transformed from one degree of glory to another. How do I glorify God? First of all, by being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that brings us to our scripture. Before we jump into it, let me let you know that what we're about to read is a commentary by the Apostle Paul on an episode that happened back in the book of Genesis with Moses. Moses was called into the presence of God and Moses got a glimpse of God that few human beings have ever gotten. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. 
Now, Paul's going to comment on that. How many of you think that Ten Commandments are good? How many, think, how many think the world would be a better place if we just live by the Ten Commandments? Would, there, would the world be more glorious if we could just get the Ten Commandments right? Yeah. There's some glory in the Ten Commandments. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul said about Moses and the Ten Commandments. Beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. If the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory. Let me just stop right there. Ministry of death. That sounds like Halloween. Like what? That's so depressing. What are we talking about? Paul describes trying to keep the Ten Commandments as the ministry of death. Anybody get all ten of the commandments right this week? Thumbs up if you got all ten of the commandments right this week. And if you have a thumbs up right now, you just broke one of them because it's like, don't lie, okay? You just bared false witness, all right? So now it's thumbs down. None of us ever get it right. And so do you know what happens when we don't obey God? We die spiritually. We're separated from God spiritually. And so Paul's like, trying to keep the Ten Commandments is like death. It's just, it's just like, as hard as I try, I can't do it. So he describes as the ministry of death, these carved stones. That's what God uh, wrote uh, those Ten Commandments on. And so he says, that came with glory. Now that was, that was a great concept. We just didn't we didn't really obey it much. He says, if that came with glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. You see, when, when, <clears throat> when Moses got in the presence of God, he got such a holy sunburn from the glory that his face glowed when they came down the mountain. And so they had to put a veil over his face or that would melt their faces off. Just a little Old Testament commentary there. That was what was going on. Then verse 8, it says... Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So we contrast the Old Testament as a ministry of death, and yet the new covenant in Jesus Christ as the ministry of the Spirit. Here's the great news of Scripture. We could never keep the Ten Commandments, but Jesus kept them perfectly. And if we trust Jesus, God will credit Jesus' obedience to our account through the ministry of the Spirit. That's what he's summarizing there in verse 8. Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. So the idea of rule keeping and man-made rule keeping religion, if, if that seemed glorious at some point, it's like that's got no glory compared to the ministry of Jesus because of the glory that surpasses it. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory much more Will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Let me say something about that. That's the third time I've read that something was being brought to an end. What was being brought to an end? It was this idea of rule-keeping religion in the Old Testament. And it was the glory of that. And we're told that Moses put this veil over his face actually to protect the people from getting the sunburn. But then after a while, he put a veil over his face so that they wouldn't see that 
the glory was actually fading. It was like he was ashamed or embarrassed that the glory was being brought to an end. And so like, we don't want to be like that. We don't want our glory to ever be brought to an end. And it won't be because of Jesus. So he goes on in verse six. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Down, down in verse 12. I, I'm getting you all messed up on the verses. I meant verse 12 earlier. Now I'm down in verse 14. Let's pick it up in verse 14. But their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So he's speaking of our, our, our Jewish friends who can't see that Jesus is their Messiah as we read it in the Old Testament. Our veil has been taken away. We can see this, but our Jewish friends can't see it. Then verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if you're here today, and the, the Bible seems really fuzzy to you, the concept of God seems kind of like a distant, ethereal concept, if it's really, really hard for you to see how Jesus' death on the cross could really have meaning for you 2,000 years later, do you know what the problem is? You've yet to have the veil removed. You're trying to see all of this while the veil is still there. You say, okay, well, how to get rid of the veil? He tells you there in verse 16, turn to the Lord. Turn away from sin, turn away from self-made, self-righteous religion and your attempt to be glorious and admit I am not glorious and turn toward the Lord and the veil will be removed. Now look down at verse 18, which is really the verse I've been trying to get to the whole time. And we all, all right, now stop right there. This is us, Harvest Bible Chapel 2018 here in Granger. We all, this has implications for us. Notice, with unveiled face, if you have turned to the Lord and the veil has been removed, we are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. Now, there's so much in this verse. First of all, I want you to notice the importance of beholding the glory of the Lord. That's what we've been doing over the last two weeks. Looking at the glorious attributes of God, His love, His grace, His wisdom, His knowledge, His power. It is important that we behold the glory of the Lord because the Lord wants us to become the glory of the Lord. John Piper says it this way, beholding is becoming. Beholding the glory of Christ puts you in a position to become like the glory of Christ. We are being transformed. The word transformed is the um, New Testament Greek word metamorpho. Sound familiar? There is a metamorphosis that happens in me every time I behold the glory of the Lord. The veil is lifted. I can never be the same. Every day 
I need an encounter with the glory of the Lord to transform me from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Think about these degrees. Like, what's the word degree about? Well, we get that here in, in Michiana, right? We, we like more degrees. How many of you are in favor of more degrees? More degrees of heat, right? The de- How many of you like the glory of July more than the glory of March? Okay, because there's more degrees of heat there, right? Um, think about the degree of incline. Andrea and I went hiking um, in Arizona a few weeks ago, and, and we took this trail, and the further we went, the greater the degree of incline there was, right? Well, that's what our lives is supposed, are supposed to be like. You get saved, you come to the Lord, you turn to the Lord, the veil is lifted, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's this new glory. That's great. But from that degree of glory, you are to go on to other degrees of incline, other degrees of glory. Um, Andrea was really impressed. Really, the only thing we watched in the Olympics this year was that snowboarding thing where they come down this huge slope going a thousand miles an hour. And then they hit this ramp that sends them into the ozone layer for a while. And then somehow they land. Now, how, how many of you can think back to think, now who thought that up? <laughs> let's get a big ramp and let's see how, what, what happens when we fly off the end of it. Somebody had to do that first, right? All right, so whoever did that first, they probably didn't do the twists and the somersaults and all they did on the 1,000th time they did that, right? They went from one degree of difficulty, which was just the guts to do it the first time, to a greater degree of difficulty. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. It's like you swallow real hard, you get enough guts to try something that you think, I can't do this, and it happens. And you're like, I think I'd like to try that again. This time I'm going to try it with a somersault, right? And you keep going on from one degree of glory to the next. There is glory in getting saved. Yes. Now let's get you to another level of surrender and obedience and loving and, and, and self-control and um, purity, all those different things. We keep going. We never stop being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. If you stopped at some point 10 years ago and you thought, I think I'm glorious enough. Don't you agree? I mean, my glory is just leaking out everywhere and people are just telling me, boy, you don't, you don't need to change at all. First of all, you're self-deceived and you're not married. So, um, you know, get married and, and you will get a different uh, commentary on your, how glorious you really think you are. But we are never to stop moving from one degree of glory to another. Do you know what that's called? That's called discipleship. That's what we're all about. It's being transformed from the glory of admiring Jesus to the glory of worshiping Jesus. It's being transformed from serving Jesus out of duty, because you ought to, into another degree of glory of serving Jesus because you want to. And there's nothing you'd rather do because you've seen his glory. It's being transformed from being a disciple to the glory of making disciples. We are ever to be transformed by the glory of the Lord. This is the only way to change behavior that is approved by God. I mean, 
But some of us, your parents tried to guilt you or threaten you or bribe you to change. And that's, that's moralism. It doesn't last. The only way for true transformation to take place is for you to behold the glory of the Lord in such a way that you change into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So how do I glorify God? By being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Here's the second way. By abiding and reproducing. By abiding and reproducing. That word is found in John chapter 15. And Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's almost as if he was saying, don't get confused about who you are. The branch has no life and has no ability to produce fruit if it's not connected to the vine. So he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot glorify God without abiding in Christ. The verse goes on and says this, by this is my father glorified. So you're asking the question, how do I glorify God? Jesus gives you the answer by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God wants you to be bearing fruit. Fruit is just simply the byproduct of hanging out with Jesus. If you go back and look at that word abiding again, the, the word abiding has always tripped me up. I've always like had trouble trying, I give my life to explaining words in the Bible, right? I've had the hardest time trying to figure out how to explain the word abide until this week. The word, it, it doesn't have a good English word. The, the Greek word doesn't have a great English word to convey its meaning. It, some translations say remain in me. It's like, don't go away. I don't know if that's the right thing. Um, some, it, it's really more has to do with living or dwelling together. It's this connection that happens. I in you and you in me. So um, this week I figured out how to explain it. So here's the deal. I have a 20 year old son named Zach. And about a month ago, Zach called me and he said, dad, spring break is coming up. And here's what I'd like to do for spring break. Um, I've got four buddies in college. They're at Cedarville University. He's in his third year and he's got these four really close friends. And he's like, we want to go on a spring, spring break trip together. Now, how many of you that are dads, when you hear the words spring break, go together, that makes you a little nervous. Am I the only one? I'm like, where do you want to go? And what are you going to be doing? And are you going to have any regret at the end of this? All right. And are you going to completely dishonor God in the process? Well, um, after doing a little investigating, <laughs> this is what he wanted to do. He's like, I need your help. I need to borrow the family Toyota Highlander in order to put this, to put, put this together. And he's like, we want to go to Banff National Park. I'm like, where is Banff National Park? Is that in Michigan? Where is that? He's like, no, that's in Canada. I'm like, you want to go to a national park that's not even in our nation? He's like, it's in Western Canada. I'm like, what? And, and I knew they didn't have any money. He's like, that's okay. Just, we just, if you, 
we get some granola bars and, uh, and we've got a tent. One of the guys has a tent. We just need the Highlander and we'll be fine. So they show up on Monday and they take the Highlander and, and they take off. And uh, I'm kind of tracking them on Find My Friends on my phone, you know, to make sure they're not going somewhere they didn't tell me they were going. But uh, anyway, sure enough, they go and, um, and they have the greatest time. And um, they, they took this tent and, it, you know, they, they didn't have any money so that, you know, they're just going to sleep in the tent. Well, they tried that one night in Montana in March and found out it's cold. And they said, we don't think we want to do that anymore. So the next night, they looked around and they saw a lot of nice houses around them. And as Bible college students, they must have remembered Revelation chapter 3, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone <laughs> hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. And so they must have been inspired by that verse. And so they found a nice house and they walked up and they knocked on the door and they explained what they were doing. And they said, we just need a place to, to sleep. We'll be out, you know, by six in the morning. And there was this very nice lady that said, well, sure, come on in. And, and so uh, they stayed in this home of, of this lady here, you know, one night and and just had a great time and they found another home the next night. And uh, so anyway, they're just kind of vagrant college students, just no money. But so they came back yesterday and they brought the Highlander back with no damage. I was grateful. Uh, they put 7,000 miles on it. And, um, and, then, and then Andrew and I got into the Highlander after these five boys had been in it for a week without taking a shower and there was there was an abiding presence there in the Highlander of of these boys so but I got to thinking about it and I mean how many of you when you were 20 years old did something like that it's like I, this is the greatest week of my life something like that yeah well they, it really was and you know I could just imagine 27 hour it's actually it was 31 hour trip out there and a 30 hour one hour trip and I'm like at the end of those seven days do you think those guys knew each other there was probably something, there's probably nothing they didn't know about each other. Do you know what they did the entire week? They abided. They connected. And they connected with the nice lady in her, in her home for a couple hours too. That's what Jesus wants from each one of us. When you spend time with Jesus, you become like him. You become a reflection of him. You display his glory. All these guys, they smelled identical. They, they looked identical. They, they, they were all wearing each other's clothes. I mean, it was just, they became one. And that is how you become a display of God's glory by connecting with that glory. And by that, God is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples, one who looks like, acts like, and lives like Jesus. Here's the third thing. How do you glorify God? I glorify God by displaying God's glory in every detail of my life. Now, we are about to get super practical right now. For those of you that are waiting around for the practical stuff, here it is. This is the most practical verse in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many of you already this morning have found 
food and put it in your mouth. Raise your hands. Testimonies in church. Okay, great. How many of you are probably going to do that a couple more times today? Yeah. How many of you have actually taken liquid and put it in your mouth? You have drunk something. It's risky to ask that in church, I realize, but you you drink. Um, Yeah, we do that several times a day, right? That's the most mundane thing you can do is eat and drink. And whatever other categories that you could find of the things you do, he covers that all with the word whatever. Now, here's what we do. We think that glorifying God is what we do when we're at church. And when we open our Bible, and when we pray, and when we give. And then we think everything else we do is what we do in between the times that we glorify God. That is the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches. What this verse is teaching us is everything you do either displays or distorts the glory of God. We have to understand that in our eating, we can glorify God, we can display God's glory, or we can distort God's glory. In our drinking, we will display or distort the glory of God. Whatever we do will either display or distort the glory of God. So let's get super practical. I want to give you 10 ways this week you can display the glory of God. Let's start with the men. At the eight o'clock service, I heard an audible groan. (laughs) That was a bad week for that dude, apparently, you know, so if that's you, let's help you. Husbands, how many husbands in the room? I want to see the whites of your eyes so I know where to aim. Okay, husbands, glorify God's love by loving your wife as Christ loved the church. A husband displays the glory of God's love when he moves toward his wife to embrace her in spite of her not, uh, in spite of him not understanding her, in spite of her not necessarily being attractive at that particular moment, in spite of her maybe even being a porcupine on that particular day, he glorifies God's love by moving toward her, even though he's got excuses for why she's not all that lovable. And he glorifies God's love by nourishing her and cherishing her and putting her needs ahead of his own. He glorifies God's love by laying his life down Because that's what Jesus did in loving us. He moved toward us when we were a porcupine. He moved toward us when we were not attractive. He moved toward us in love, laying his life down, putting our needs in front of his. A husband glorifies God by simply glorifying God's love by loving his wife as Christ loves the church. But a husband distorts the glory of God when he is too busy and insensitive and uncaring and has wandering eyes, when he is selfish and when he does these things, 
without putting her needs ahead of his own. Do you know what he does? He distorts the glory of God to his wife and his wife can't see the glory of God in him. Husbands, glorify God's love by loving your wife as Christ loves the church. I have nine more. Can you handle it? Or is that enough? All right. We'll start with the wives now. Wives, glorify God's grace by respecting your husband. A wife displays the glory of God's grace when she feels rejected, ignored, unloved, and yet she serves and she respects and she speaks kind words of encouragement. She speaks kind words to her husband and about her husband when she is with her friends when she serves diligently, when she opens her heart and honors her husband, that's how a wife displays the glory of God's grace. Because that's what God's grace does for us. When we don't deserve it, He treats us better than we deserve. But a wife distorts the glory of God's grace when she's resentful and disrespectful and demanding and critical of her husband. She distorts the glory of God's grace and her husband can't see the glory of God in her. Wives, glorify God's grace by respecting your husbands. Parents, where are the parents? Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Parents, glorify God's patience by training your children to glorify God. Moms and dad display the glory of God's patience when they are gently correcting their children's selfish behavior and confronting what's going on in their own heart. God is glorified when exhausted moms and dads take the iPhone or the iPad out of the hands of their teenagers, make eye contact with them. Open their heart, open the Bible, open a storybook Bible and begin to explain what God's glory actually is all about. And then they humble themselves in front of their children and say, you know what? I haven't always lived for the glory of God. And sometimes you've seen a very distorted view of the glory of God because I haven't reflected that to you. Here's what God's teaching me in the word. And I, I've repented before the Lord of these things. And I, I want you to know that I, it's my responsibility to reproduce these things in you. It's my job to instruct you and to discipline you and to love you and to care for you and to lead you and to protect you and to, to direct you. And they see the glory of God. But moms and dad distort the glory of God when they aren't patient and they're uninvolved and they're distant and they're frustrated and they scream and they yell at their children. When biological mom and biological dad don't get married or stay married, it distorts the glory of God and their children can't see the glory of God in what God intended to be a permanent, enduring, covenant love relationship through a lifetime. Parents, glorify God's patience by training your children to glorify God. Glorify God's mercy by forgiving and showing mercy to those who hurt you. You display God's mercy when you have been cheated, stolen from, lied about, slandered, gossiped, sued, divorced, abused, disappointed in a church leader, and yet you choose to forgive someone who doesn't deserve it and you treat them better than they deserve. That's how you glorify the mercy of God. But you distort the glory of God's mercy when you become angry and bitter and unforgiving and seek revenge 
And the one who hurts you can't see the glory of God in you. Glorify God's mercy by forgiving and showing mercy to those who hurt you. Glorify God's truth by believing, speaking, and living the truth. A businessman, a businesswoman displays the glory of God's truth when he deals honestly with his customers and employees. He respects his employees and the government when he charges a fair price, when he does excellent work, when she refuses to compromise her integrity. That's how a business person glorifies the truth of God. But when you mistreat your customers, you disrespect your employees, you cheat on your taxes, and you don't provide a good service, you distort the glory of God's truth. Glorify God's truth by speaking and believing and living the truth. Glorify God's trustworthiness in your suffering. You display the glory of God in your suffering when you trust that God's ways are higher than your ways. In John chapter 11, Jesus heard some really bad news that one of his best friends had died. And his sister showed up to report that and said, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, this sickness is for the glory of God. There are a lot of churches and a lot of preachers that don't even have room in their theology for a God that would allow suffering. Do you have room in your theology for a God who actually could be more glorified in your suffering than your well-being? You glorify God in your suffering when you have a peace that passes understanding. No matter what the diagnosis, no matter how intense the pain, no matter how deep the loneliness, the person in this room with the greatest physical ailment has the greatest opportunity to glorify God because you trust something that you can't see or understand, but you have such a confidence in the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, the control of God, that we step back and say, that's not natural. That's supernatural. Glory to God. But you distort the glory of God when you complain and moan and bellyache about how hard life is. You distort the glory of God when you don't trust His goodness. When you ball your fist up in the face of God and accuse Him of not knowing what He's doing and that you could run the universe better than He can, you distort the glory of God. Don't do it. Glorify God's trustworthiness in your suffering. Glorify God's generosity by giving generously to the Lord. A family displays the glory of God's generosity when they give generously to the Lord. When, when even though times are hard, money's tight, and they have trouble making ends meet, the first line item in the budget is still give to God. Trusting that God will use whatever's left over more than He would use if you were controlling all of it yourself. 
They give glory to God because he's been so generous to us. They give back. Some of the greatest stories of God's glory I've heard over the last six weeks have been some people in our church. They're, they're not super rich. As a matter of fact, things are tight. And yet they've prioritized generosity and given generously to the Lord in this Made for More campaign. And then they've, they've seen abundant supernatural ways that God has cared for them and taken care of them in tangible ways. But you distort the glory of God when you cut your giving out of the budget instead of cutting your expenses, when you use all that God has given you on yourself rather than looking ways to bless God and bless others. Glorify God's generosity by giving generously to the Lord and trusting Him. Glorify God's strength by serving out of your weakness. In 1 Peter chapter 4, we're told that each one has received a gift and we're to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. But he says that we're to serve by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So, God gets glory when I go to God in my weakness to find strength to do things that are far beyond my ability, far beyond my training, far beyond my maturity, and far beyond my courage. And I gulp real hard and I lean in like, God, I don't have strength to do this. I don't have the time to do this. And I, I really need some supernatural strength here when I spend time that I don't have to serve people that I don't even like. <laughs> Through the strength that God provides, God gets glory. But you distort the glory of God's strength when you use all of your gifts and all of your talent and all of your resources to serve yourself. Or only serve out of those areas that you feel competent at. And when you serve in an area where you feel competent, guess who gets the glory? You do. But when you serve out of your strength, God gets the glory. Glorify God's lordship by repenting of sin and trusting Christ as Lord for salvation. If you've never turned to the Lord, if you've never been saved, this is the starting place of glorifying God. We're told in Philippians chapter 2 that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what he's waiting for you to do. And if you've never done that, when you bow the knee, when you surrender your life, when you choose Christ over self, you glorify the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But when you harden your will and you resist him, and you cover your sin and you live independently, trying to be your own savior, holding on to your own sovereignty, being your own God. You distort the glory of God. Glorify God's lordship by repenting of sin and trusting Christ as Lord for salvation. You say, I've already done that. You do that every day. Do you sin every day? Yes, glorify the Lord by repenting of sin and trusting Christ every day. It's not something that happens in the past. And then finally, and I say this to our church, Harvest Bible Chapel, glorify God by sharing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. A church displays the glory of God 
by praying and going and sending people to the places where the glory of God is not yet known. And that could be in your family, that could be in your school, that could be in your workplace, that could be somewhere around the world. 25 years ago, there was a college, a Bible college student that graduated from Bible college and then went on to seminary. As a 25 year old young man, he gave his life to live for the glory of God. And the Lord sent him to Eastern Europe, little country, Hungary. And he planted a church there. That church now 25 years later has grown and matured. They have about 400 people that'll be meeting there today. And that's a mega church in Hungary. It's a very dark place. His name is Mark Patton. And I had the privilege of meeting Mark about this time last year when we went to Romania. We spent a few extra days. We went over into Hungary, saw his church, spent time with him. And um, a couple of years ago, one of our church members, Edward Hayes, put in his hands the book by James McDonald, Vertical Church. First half of that book is all about the glory of God being the preeminent thing we're going after in church. And he realized that He'd read so many different church books and tried so many different techniques to try to grow the church and to get people to come to the church that there were a lot of substitutes for the glory of God in church. And God grabbed his heart and said, I'm making my church about that. And so for the past couple of years, he's been preaching and teaching the way you hear things around here. And he's taught his church the four pillars of Harvest Bible Chapel. And about six months ago, he he was here. He he said, Trent, do you think um, if, if I could get a few churches together that maybe we could have a vertical church conference? Would you, would you come over and, and help us do that? And I said, absolutely. Just let's figure it out. So um, I'm leaving on Wednesday along with Andrea. Micah's coming with me. Edward Hayes is coming with me. Wes Ward and his son Graham are coming and Bryce and Jordan Chapman are coming because Bryce is the nephew of Mark Patton. So we're going as a team, you're sending us as a church to do this vertical church conference which starts on Friday. So next weekend, that's what we'll be doing with 95 churches that are coming together to hear about the glory of God being preeminent once again in the church. I tell you that story because of this. What you will do wherever you go this week will be no less significant than what I'm doing. Amen. Everything you do will either display or distort the glory of God. Another reason I tell you that story is there may be a 25-year-old in here that's kind of wondering what you want to spend your life on. And it may take you 25 years of cultivating an environment where the Lordship of Jesus Christ is even a concept. I don't know what God may be calling you to do. Another reason I tell you that story is we've been telling you that we want our church to be ascending church. And so the Lord is opening doors for us to impact all kinds of different areas. And it can't just be about the people that get on the platform. I want you to find a place where you can go and share the glory of God. And again, that may be in downtown South Bend. That may be in your home. It may be in the bedroom. It may be a phone call to somebody that's dear to you. Will you give yourself fully and finally 
to glorify the Lord. It's what you were made for. You were made for more. I want you to stand. I invite you to bow your heads just right where you're at. In a moment, we're going to sing and glorify the Lord through our singing. But before we do that, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. What's the Lord said to you this morning? Are you a husband that needs to glorify the Lord by loving your wife? Are you a wife that needs to glorify the Lord by respecting your husband, a parent, a child that needs to glorify the Lord and His truth by obeying, listening to truth? Is there a business practice you need to change? Because it's not glorifying the Lord. There are entertainment choices you need to change because it's not glorifying the Lord. You're distorting the glory of God. You have an appetite for things that distort the glory of God. That's not right. Would you just ask the Lord, God, where do you want me to go so that I can shine and share your glory in a dark place? Father, you are glorious. Jesus, you are glorious. And thank you that you've lifted the veil from our eyes to see these things. And we see them even so dimly now. And we're such a poor reflection of your glory so often. But God, we want to repent of that. We want a fresh start. We want to give ourselves fully and finally once again for the purpose for which we were made to glorify you. Receive our praise, but God, I pray that what we do now is just the overflow of what we'll do all week long, giving you the glory that you deserve, all for your name's sake. Jesus, be glorified. It's in your name we pray.